It is! Yes! Yes! <laughs> A thousand times yes! Oscar is back! Chris, I live behind my eyes. I can smell the fear coming off you. You bitch, I can smell it. When you say a hit in our world, you gotta be prepared to put someone in the ground. Guess what, Chris? We've done it before, and we'll put you guys in the ground too. Are you ready to do that? Are you prepared? Nah. Wow, look at, look at Jericho's if there's any question as to why I just did what I did to Tanahashi, well, you're all fucking stupid. How long did you think that I was going to play grab ass with Taguchi and friends, huh? How long did you think I was going to sit on the apron and wait for David Finley to tag me, huh? No. This is my shit. This is my shit. And if you're surprised right now, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Here, I want you to give this to fucking Tanahashi and you tell him that Juice Robinson is coming to fucking take it whenever he wants, whenever he wants. Now it is official. At double or nothing, it will be CM Punk challenging Hangman Adam Page for the AEW World Championship. What a main event wow. that's gonna be. Wow, all right. I'm Let's, Mills Lane would say, let's get it on. Las Vegas, big fight. May 29th, live on pay-per-view. Good shit. Late to every episode. Late so much, I'm going to have to buy you a pregnancy test. Bob Rude. <laughs> I want to be a podcaster. Yay! His mother named him Kenta. I'm going to call him Kenta. Dynamite drop in, Monty. That broadcasting school is really paying off for you. <laughs> You're so high, you don't even know it. Oh, I'm a boy. You ready for a scotch ad? We don't know anything <laughs> about him. The only thing he's got in his wallet is a bunch of names of whorehouses. <laughs> That's fire! <laughs> <laughs> Probably looks like Jim Duggan digging the tape out of his crotch. Benoit, enjoy my wife. <laughs> That's a bold statement, Cotton. Oh my god, mine just stopped recording. No, we're good. We're still recording.
What a dick. Fuck with me. I'd cease and desist me. I'd cease and desist me hard. I need a minute to recover off that. What kind of game is it? War games. Let a war. War games. Are impressionist. I have, yeah, I know. That's the only thing I've said in the last half hour. Bark like a dog. <laughs> oh, 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 jinx. Holy shit. How did that actually happen? Here we go. is the top of wrestling podcast back yet again for another episode here in season four and man it's the 18th episode so it's legal to bang still can't get it get it drunk but it's cool hey thanks again for everybody who is listening in we always appreciate it and you know let's we gotta dive right in everybody odm off. Oh my god, that's why things feel weird today. That's right, we already knew for the next couple of weeks it is going to be ODM-less for our show. But he is still doing some things in the background as always because the show does not go on without him, so I always appreciate that, my man, and we'll see you back in a couple of weeks. This week, of course, I got some news for you. Talk a little bit of AEW. Monday Night Wars are still trucking along with my favorite era. It is spring of 1997. May has begun, and it is the go-home show for A Cold Day in Hell, which is going to be the In Your House pay-per-view coming up. And not to mention, we also have Nightwing. He's here this week with a little bit of good shit. Haven't heard from him in a couple, which is good. Can't wait to hear what he's got on deck. So let's just dive right in. Oh yeah, got a movie of the week. Okay, here we go. This week's news. Uh, Just before recording, I had the chance to watch the entire pay-per-view of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Dantaku. Oh shit, I already miss having ODM here. Okay, uh, it's Wrestling Dantaku. And last year they had a a tremendous match that rivaled for match of the year overall between all promotions with Shingo Takagi coming up short against Will Ospreay for the world title. This year they did not disappoint as they had four title changes for the 2022 pay-per-view. Most notably, you had Tajiri Ishimori from The Bullet Club regaining his junior heavyweight championship. We have new tag team champions for the IWGB heavyweight gold, which is now Chase Owens and Bad Luck Folly, which tells you, Bullet Club, they won another one. And I'm happy, absolutely happy to announce that you know how big fans we are for the the G.O.D., the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga, has won his first singles title in New Japan, extremely well-deserved, winning the Never Open Weight Championship. That is awesome. I'm very happy for that. I think that's going to be a, a sign of good things to come. It could be maybe a couple of years from now we could see him fighting for either the U.S. title or the world title. 
But speaking of that world title, uh, before I'm sorry, let me back up. Before, speaking of the U.S. title, in a there was a match that was done between Tamahiro Ishii and Hiroshi Tanahashi, and this was for the vacant U.S. championship, which was vacated, I believe, by Kenta. And after Hiroshi Tanahashi wins the U.S. championship. Chase Owens, who has just won the Tag Team Championship earlier in the night, comes down and starts talking a little trash and says, but it's not me that wants your title. And a masked wrestler comes in with more of like a like a winter kind of ski mask and a bullet club vest kind of jacket and starts to beat down Tanahashi and gives him what looks just like uh, what would be Christian's finishing move, but it ends up being Juice Robinson's final move as well because he reveals himself as the newest member of the Bullet Club. Juice has been talking for the last several weeks that he's working on just borrowed time with New Japan, that he had let his contract expire. He didn't know what he was going to be doing. He did an extension, which is what I mean by the borrowed time, but he had no intentions of staying there. And I'm going to, you know, give a nod back to ODM on this because I think we are starting to get a little more in the kayfabe days. I think that finally the wrestling talent and even some promotions and how they do things are starting to learn how to kayfabe the audience in a 2022 social media thriving world. So kudos to them. I did not see Juice Robinson becoming a new member of Bullet Club at all. And what a good guy to turn. I think that was an awesome move. And in the main event, Tetsura Naito comes up short, winning the IWGP heavyweight title from Kazuchika Okada. But after Okada wins and retains, his celebration is cut short as the entire Bullet Club, now including Jay White, come out, jump him, and kind of leave him laying there in the ring, including newest member is going to be there with them is uh, Juice Robinson. You also had all the members, El Phantasmo, your tag team champion. So it's been a couple of years, I feel like, since Bullet Club has made a name for themselves. And I feel like they could be a shell of what they used to be. But I'm not counting them out right now. I think that they're making some good adjustments, which is great. A heel Juice Robinson could go against anybody at AEW and New Japan's Forbidden Door. So I think this opens up great possibilities. In other news, uh, Dark Side of the Ring is not planned in any time for 2022 or 2023's lineup for Vice. However, there is some rumblings that The Rock is planning on working with Vice to do some form of a docu-series. We'll see what that ends up being, but it looks like Dark Side of the Ring, which is funny, we just talked about it either last week or two weeks ago, about them kind of twisting JR's words and he wasn't too happy with it. Well, I'm not sure if that was a sign of many things that people said and, and they decided to not renew, but as far as we know right now, Dark Side of the Ring is 
not coming back anytime soon. And we, we don't have one, but we need to have an unfortunate weekly bumper for our WWE releases. This set of names is nowhere near as lengthy as it has been, and it's un- a good news is not a whole lot of people that are heavily shown on TV, so it's not like it's coming out of nowhere. Can't say this isn't for budget cuts because it seems like it would be. There's about five or six names of people I've never heard of, and they could be very well a part of NXT, but that says all it is for me. But notable names are Malcolm Bivens, who is the leader of uh, the Diamond Mind with Roderick Strong. I don't know why all that just kind of went away. I think MSK was a part of that, which may have been kind of a a big thing too, but I don't think that's the reason of it, but I think they're going to start to break that up. Dexter Loomis, former Sam Shaw, who's heavily been on TV. Again, nothing that WWE hasn't done before where someone's been on TV and then two, three weeks later, they're gone. And this guy did marriage uh, sequences. He did real stone cold looking not Austin like I just more of like a stone cold looking face of a psychopathic killer while uh, being I believe it was friends with yeah Johnny Gargano you know he's been here for a while I'm just kind of shocked that he's gone away but a, a cool picture did resurface or not resurface but surfaced online of him painting a picture of Vince McMahon and he tweeted out and saying this is my thank you to the company for the years of work that's uh stand up. That's cool. I I'd like to see where he goes. He could go back to Impact. I liked him there. He could probably I I, I we always, you know, the first thing is going to say AEW, but I, I don't want to even I don't even want to think that that's even a possibility for Loomis. But another name is Holland, which is, you know, no no not Holland. I'm sorry. Harland. Harland was let go. Another man that was pretty pushed in NXT for a little bit. Persia Parada, who I've never really heard of. Face looked familiar, but the one that really got me was Dakota Kai. The I know that she has, you know, she had an injury or two, and she, but she came back and had that really great feud with Tegan Knox that we, I don't think anybody was as big of fans as, as that feud as ODM and I were. Bailey even put a tweet out after the releases and saying it sucks because Dakota Kai is one person that's been with her throughout her entire uh, recovery. Who knows where she's going to end up? I think she's a a good wrestler. I think she could maybe add to the AEW women's division. We can always get a little bit more over there. It's not a a very stacked card for the women's division, so I, I would be okay with that. And, you know, speaking of women, Asuka made her return this past week on Raw. I did uh, catch a clip of that where Becky Lynch is in the ring looking like she's trying to do a, I don't know, like she's trying to pull a Cody Rose, I'm going to retire, but I'm really not going to. Which, by the way, Cody Rose has been named for the next Skull Sessions for Stone Cold's show on the network, so make sure to be ready for that one. But... Asuka ends up making her return and says that Becky Lynch isn't ready for Asuka and does one of the funniest things I feel like I've seen in wrestling maybe in a long time, but it was just so subtle. It was as good as a finger poke to the eye. 
she kind of, I don't know, airplaned her hand in front of Becky Lynch's face, like, like you would feed a kid, and then all of a sudden just, boop, flicked her nose. I've never seen anybody get flicked in the tip of the nose on wrestling, and I don't know why that made me laugh. I go, "Ah, well, it's Asuka. She's awesome. Great to see that she's back. We've been waiting to see her back for quite some time. Um, And then one more piece of WWE news, surprisingly, is that they have announced that September 3rd, Saturday, September 3rd, they will be in Cardiff, Wales for Clash of the Castle. Drew McIntyre has been talking for a long time that he wants to get a big stadium show for the UK, and he didn't uh, know when it was going to happen, but he's one person that's, that's been pushing for it. I think this would be a great spot to have him face Roman Reigns. We're several months away from it, obviously. But I think this could be a, a good a chance. I mean, you had uh, British Bulldog and Bret Hart at Wembley. That's the last stadium show that we're talking about, 1992 SummerSlam. And that is British Bulldog's hometown crowd. I think it would be the smartest thing to do is put Drew McIntyre right there uh, in front of a good UK crowd, and I think that he'll have the crowd right behind him. The booze that you'll want for Roman Reigns will actually happen. Uh, and one more piece of news, actually, is that Inspiration, the former Iconics, which is uh, Jesse McKay and Cassie Lee, seem to be stepping away from wrestling. No answers have been given yet. They were just recently Impact Knockout Champions, Tag Team Champions. So for some reason, they are calling it a quits or stepping away from wrestling for the time being. We'll see what's from them to come. Wouldn't be shocked if we would get something of a reality-type show or they are a part of some other type of thing that's just not even a part of wrestling. You know, I mean, they they have the charisma, the, the looks. I, they'll probably end up somewhere that maybe isn't even in wrestling, which is why they're stepping away from it completely. But on to which is my favorite night of the week. Not only is it my favorite day because of this podcast, but Wednesday nights, it is Dynamite. And tonight, we have several big things on the way. But first, let's talk about last week. It opened up in Philly with the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament match between Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler. Fantastic match. As much as we knew it was going to be, it was even that much better. Both guys coming out out of separate parts of the ramp, or the entrance ramp, but coming down together for this match, showing we're here, we're coming in together, we're going to leave together, and which is exactly what they did. And Dax takes the win, but, man, I got to say, so many awesome tributes. First, their tights were 100% looking like the old 1997 summer, what we're getting to, <laughs> heart foundation tights or the back of their jackets. That's what they had uh, as logos on their trunks. And they did several sequences. Owen and Brett from WrestleMania 10. Brett and Mr. Perfect from King of the Ring 93. As well as Brett and Davey from Wembley 92. Several spots, kind of like how we saw CM Punk and Darby make their um, tribute at All Out. Much of the same in this match. And speaking of, CM Punk was on commentary for this match. Dax wins, both guys leave, and as the guys are leaving, it is officially announced 
CM Punk will be facing Adam Page at Double or Nothing. It's funny because right before the show went live, it was said that Adam Page tested positive for COVID and just wouldn't be making the show. And Uncle Dave ends up putting out his notes and saying, oh, this show was heavily rescripted and rewritten before it went to air. Every match that they said they had planned happened. And it was already a full show. The only other thing is they could have had a mini face-off. I don't know what was totally rescripted. Fuck you, Uncle Dave. Anyway, Punk does kind of cater to the crowd. Just takes a lap around the ring talking to them. Talking about how at Double or Nothing, he gets the opportunity to become a champion once again. The last time this man was even in a championship match was against... The Rock at Elimination Chamber 2013. First championship match at all. I'd like to see him go over. I'm hoping that's what the plan is. Just because, not just because I'm a major punk fan, but obviously none of us are really a big Adam Page fan. Also, Wardlow defeated Lance Archer in probably Wardlow's best singles match to date. It was it was more than just two hosses going at it. It was a lot of great fast-paced moves. And after he gets that win, a little later in the night, MJF pissed off, says that next week, I'm going to have you face a real giant. Hang on. And then he pulls out his phone, calls a guy, says, Hey, big man, you interested in making six figures next week? Awesome. Hangs up and goes, This guy is seven feet tall, and you can't teach that. I'm going to go ahead and say probably Big Cass. I mean, there's no other, unless he's just doing that to be a dick and he called the big show, that would actually be funny just to make people pissed off and a good swerve. But looks like we'll probably have Wardlow versus Big Cass tonight. Also, the Undisputed Elite, finally all five looking like they're on the same page, all wearing the same shirt. But they defeated Brock Anderson, the Varsity Blondes, Lee Johnson, and Dante Martin. The Jericho Appreciation Society had a sit-down with Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. Kingston was not a fan of it. He says, I'm tired of this sports entertainment bullshit. Jericho says, I want you to know, Kingston, I'm putting a hit on you. And Kingston says, do you even know what that means in my world? That means it's everything. It's on. It's done. And got into Jericho's face, where Jericho was sitting in a leather chair, and kept getting so close that Jericho was almost laying down backwards in this chair, waiting, you know, to almost fall as Kingston was that close to his face. Uh, funny enough, I, I got to say, I don't even know which one his name is anymore because they decided to rename them. But the fat Jared Leto guy, uh, I had Dynamite on. And in the background, my wife go, I go, doesn't he look like a fat Jared Leto? She goes, and extremely coked out. You got to look, at, if you ever watch him, he's chomping his gum his eyes are real wide and i don't he's just mm, real jittery (laughs) but this is not the last time we're going to be talking about him and the jericho appreciation society we also have the bullet i'm sorry not the bullet club the blackpool combat club having another trios win i was wrong i thought house of black was going to come out we'll get to them in a minute uh but they uh the bcc defeats factory which was Cutie Marshall, Nick Camarado, and Aaron Solo. In in Philly, this was a Utah Wheeler hometown crowd, and the crowd was 
nuts for him. And he ended up getting the pin for the win, which was great to see. But speaking of House of Black, it was great because you saw just the, the I can't remember his name, uh, their the Lucha Brothers manager. God damn it, I really miss you, ODM. You're awesome when you're here. But he's in the ring, and he has his cape on over his head, and he's looking down, but he's holding the shovel, and it's notably close to his face. But he's talking to House of Black, and then they appear in the ring, and then he says, but we're here for a war. We're still ready for a fight. Still not showing his face, which even I, at this point, I figured this whole thing out, and I think a lot of people did, but the pop was still well worth it. Out comes Penta, Oscuro, and Pack. But then following behind them is their manager. And he says, you don't believe everything you see. Off comes the mask, and it's Phoenix returning to the ring from that nasty elbow injury. Takes a couple of swings with the uh, with a shovel, and you know, I think he ends up beating down Buddy Murphy for a minute, which was great. So I think that we finally are going to get a good six-man or trios match between these guys. It was supposed to happen all the way back at Revolution when I was there, but Eric Redbeard take uh, was end up taking the place for Phoenix due to that injury. So at least we'll finally get something out of this because it seems like it's been a really long and slow build. Serena Deeb has solidified that she is definitely next in line for the Women's Championship because she defeated in a street fight and ending her feud with Hikaru Shida. Serena Deeb took a very nasty kendo stick shot to the eye, and her eye was so swollen. And finished along like a champ, like a boss. Good match between the both of them. Some real... Real good moments, good spots. And after the match is over, they show Thunder Rosa watching the TV, holding the title, and nodding her head. So I think that's where we're heading. I absolutely love it. Even if Serena Deeb doesn't end up being the champion, we're going to see some great matches out of both of them. And in the... Oh, no, actually, right before the main event, here comes coked out fat Jared Leto going, Come here, you got to see what's going on. Come here. Come <laughs> here. And pulls the cameraman over to see that Santana and Ortiz are laying on the ground all beat up. And the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society are holding on to Eddie Kingston as the most sports entertaining move you can do. Jericho throws the flame ball paper type thing we just talked about just a couple of weeks ago when I was there at Revenge of the Taker. Throws it at Eddie Kingston. So we get a a little deeper into this feud, which I like. Sometimes it's just match after match, and it's just oh, I, I, kind of like Seth Rollins and Cody. It's just for no reason. Oh, you caught me off guard. Let's have another match. Let's deepen this. Let's make this bloody. Let's make it worse. And I've been saying I still wouldn't mind seeing the old LAX come in here. It's still 5-3. to three. We have time. I'm still calling it. But very good moment. But in the main event of the night, Sammy Guevara comes out, tongue bathes his woman head to toe, Ty Conti, before he has a ladder match against Scorpio Sky. A great part of this match, or worst part of this match, however you want to look at it, 
Sammy Guevara goes to do a move off of the top of the ladder. Looks like he's trying to catch, uh, or stretch his arm enough to grab the title. Does the stupid thing that I always hate, the twirling around your head, oh, I'm crazy. Does the move? Well, you're so crazy it didn't pay off. Scorpio didn't catch him at all. And this dude landed pretty much just solid to his back. If Scorpio did anything, he may have just high-fived him on the way down. Looked like it hurt. And just as Ty Conti gets in there and squares off with Dan Lambert, because, again, it's Brandy and Dan point or 2.0, we get the return of Paige Van Zant and her and Ty Conti go at it. Which gives Scorpio Sky the opportunity to go up and regain his TNT championship, which he does in front of a Philly crowd. Good ladder match. I actually thought, ah, they're going to want to do this match because they have to recreate that RKO from Guevara that he did on Cody Rose because we can't keep re-showing that. A, they mentioned that the last time he was in a ladder match, he beat Cody Rhodes. But B, they reversed it on me. Scorpio Sky did the RKO out of nowhere to Guevara off of the ladder. Good moments, good match. Scorpio Sky is the two-time TNT champion. It's funny because I'm seeing some people online say, oh, this is becoming the 24-7 title. They're moving around too much. You know, for the longest time, everybody was holding a title minimum seven, eight months. I'm okay with a little bit of flop here and there. It doesn't have to be the world title or uh, your tag team titles every time. I'm okay with the TNT moving around a bit. It's what you've had to do ever since Miro dropped it. Um, but on Rampage this past Friday, Darby Allen, he is now officially entered into the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament, the OHOF, by beating Swerve Strickland as Ricky Starks served a little bit of a distraction to Strickland in order for Darby to get the win. The Baddies won in a trios match against three ladies because, you know, Santana ends up jumping Jericho, who was on commentary and Ortiz just stood staring at the entrance way just with his hands down to his side just waiting who's coming out it was awesome security came out and separated him and it's official that tonight we are getting not only Wardlow versus Big Cass we are going to be getting for the first time ever Jericho versus Santana former I almost called him Jericho appreciate society Former Inner Circle teammates are facing off this week, tonight. And, and I think that's going to be a great match, but we have plenty to come with that feud, so I'm sure it's going to be a schmaz of some form. Uh, but also on Friday night, Samoa Joe retained his TV title uh, from Ring of Honor against Trent. What I like, they brought out Ian Riccoboni for commentary, and they brought out the uh, the ring announcer the voice of ring of honor who announces every one of their matches and again lost his name too but just i I like that they're still giving it the ring of honor feel bringing those guys in there i think they need to start splitting the rosters up a little more but we'll get to that we are seeing that uh with sing kali sanjay dutt and jay lethal all coming down to ringside again orange cassidy tried facing off with Kali, duh. But Lethal gets in the ring, and him and Joe are really hitting blows, and they're talking about 
Lethal got into Ring of Honor because of Joe and how he was his mentor, and they ended up getting separated. I think we're leaning towards a good TV, uh, I'm sorry, a, yeah, a TV championship match between Samoa Joe and Jay Lethal. Could be a big first time ever match. Uh, they may have faced in Impact, I'm sure they probably did, but in this capacity and all of their history, very happy that this is what they're moving forward with. But one of my favorite moments of the night, Sean Spears starts hinting backstage Again, that it is Big Cass, talks about the seven feet tall, doesn't, he kind of, you know, doesn't say it's his name, but keeps giving those hints. And he goes, and this guy, had, he's, I had to write it down because I had to make sure the exact wording on how he said it. And, and let me tell you, the seven feet guy, you have huge PP. That's pinnacle potential. Oh my God. So, I made the mistake of thinking that I would be able to drive the RV at night while having this on in the background. That one almost made me put the RV off the road. That was some fun shit. That was funny. Sean Spears, people can say he's being wasted away in AEW. Looks like he's having fun. He's doing his thing. He doesn't have to be on the main card every week, but he's being more pushed there than he was as uh, the number perfect 10 guy that he was. So I'm glad with where he's at instead of Ty Dillinger. Uh, well, you know, I don't think we're going to have to do the old bring it to the table this week because it's just a one-man show, and all I'm going to bring to the table is we got through the first part without ODM. I think we're doing all right. It's all right. I miss you, but okay. We're all right. Let's see. Nightwing, what do you got this week? Nobody in the whole building but us, Nightwing. Wing. Eh? It's Nightwing. Really? Huh. Guess I was thinking of that goofy mullet you used to have. Yeesh, that was like a whole decade of bad hair days. This is such good shit. Yo, everybody, this is Nightwing. I got a couple little things for you today. First off, I don't know if I want to say congratulations or condolences to Riddle, who has just uh, recently gotten divorced. I never thought that he was a, uh, a very private person, but he's been basically on top of his game while dealing with this. And everybody that's dealt with some significant personal issues knows that cannot be an easy event to deal with, especially when you have to perform at the level that he's been performing with out there with Randy Orton and doing through the stuff on, on a Raw right now. But secondly, I kind of got a little bit of a rant. TBS, TNT, those streaming apps, and there's other apps, obviously, for cable channels to watch whatever you want to watch. Why do you need a damn subscription to a cable service to use your streaming apps? That completely freaking defeats the purpose. That is basically the reason I have not been watching AEW is because I cut the co cable cord so I do not watch anything on cable. I stream everything. So I can't even watch it. I can't even, and with those apps, I can't even go in there and just get a subscription only through them to watch it. You have to have a cable provider. So what is the freaking point? Anyway, guys, have a good week. That's a really good topic to bring up, the app, the TBS and TNT app. I, I like that you bring that up. That's very funny. Um, I don't know why you brought up Riddle Divorce. I don't care. I'm kidding. No, I did see it made the, the news that Matt Riddle is getting divorced from his wife. Who knows? A lot of these guys, and you're on the road with some of these women for so long, kind of like, you know, Sammy Guevara was engaged to a woman. He, does, he did it right at an event, and now all of a sudden he's with Ty Conti, so... I'd say give it a couple months and Riddle will be probably with someone who's already backstage there at WWE. Just give it time. Probably one of the announcers. But the TBS and TNT app. 
Man, I totally agree with you that they should make it an opportunity that you don't have to have a streaming cable service where you have to be with Spectrum or, or Cox Network or whatever it could be. This is, they should at least offer, well, I'll tell you what, if you want to pay us 5 to $10 a month, you can use our app. Why not? And then you can at least watch Dynamite and Rampage a little more regularly. I totally agree. I, I don't know why they haven't done that. I do know that some apps, they offer that, like AMC Plus, because I wanted to watch Better Call Saul, so I just recently looked into it. Some have that, but apparently TBS and TNT do not. Let's just keep hoping that the eventual HBO streaming service for AEW that's been kind of in the rumors as of late maybe comes true. That would be a great thing to see because then we'd have the opportunity to really watch these a little more live as opposed to some of us, you know, kind of like Nightwing. I know you don't get the opportunity. You're driving along all the time. Can't watch it on cable. You need that app. So I'm with you, man. Good to hear from you. We'll see you back in a couple of weeks. And it is time to get in the DeLorean, folks. Marty, you've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Wait a minute, Doc. Well, what are you talking about? What happens to us in the future? Will we become assholes or something? Give me a hell yeah. show for Raw because it is going to be a cold day in hell this Sunday and Nitro is another one hour show couldn't have taken off at the best time ODM thank you very much I appreciate that so first let's open up with Raw because gotta be honest guys two three four weeks in a row now maybe more Raw's bringing it their storyline everything with Brett Austin even all the way back from right before Wrestlemania 13 better than anything Nitro's producing. If it's not just another NWO schmoz, it's just a couple of cruiserweight matches. Haven't been happy with it. And I feel like I've made the right choice when I was younger and just stuck to WWF. I'm sticking through with this, but I haven't seen anything great out of WCW in the last couple of months while doing the wars. Happy we're doing them. One thing I like is that, speaking of the wars, each Raw, for the last two to three weeks opens saying last week on Raw and it has a a big explosion with some fire but it'll say last week at 8.05pm Pillman was in the ring at 8.13 and I think what they're trying to do is say look at you were maybe 5 minutes in the Nitro whatever bullshit you were watching getting irritated with Pillman was in the ring over here at this time it's the only reason I feel like they're time stamping these so well. I found that, that it was interesting. I don't know how long they kept doing that because I'm sure I just blocked it out because it was just an every week thing. But I found it very interesting that they keep putting the times. Um, we open with all five heart members heading to the ring. 
It's great because Pillman keeps using Brett's crutch as a machine gun, just kind of towards the audience, which is just great. He gets himself, uh, Brett gets himself into the ring, you know, with his knee all braced up, but he kind of hobbles his way in as Anvil and Bulldog have to carry the wheelchair in. Brett, as always, likes to open every one of his interviews with, first of all, if you haven't noticed it, everything always begins with those three words, first of all. And he does his, first of all, I want to thank Germany, my fans in England, the UK, basically everybody but the USA. You know, the normal stuff. And he said, if you guys don't like it, kind of like HBK said, and it blurbed out. Now, here's an issue, okay? I told you guys, I, you know, mine's the old school, original VHS version, right? And they bleep out the tough titty, said the kitty. You allowed Shawn Michaels to say it a couple of weeks back, but Brett isn't allowed to say it now? Weird. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, Austin's a hyena. You know what? You are nothing but a dirty, stinking, low-down hyena. <laughs> Like, more words or less, that's kind of how he said it. But every week he has to let everybody know that he's a low-down, stinking, dirty hyena. But he says that these five men assembled here, we are the excellence of execution in a dream team. Now when he's done talking about Austin, he calls out Shawn Michaels. Calling out his boy toy or calling out saying the boy toy has a an injury i don't think he really has any injuries with his knee you know keeps bringing that up every week which has got to be just a dig for a backstage kind of poke because he clearly hasn't been on you know wrestling in any matches i think he's just doing it for his own point no one else is making those pokes at Shawn michaels not wrestling but vince and jr follow up on commentary to officially call them the Heart Foundation. They say, you know, we're going to see more at the Heart Foundation, I'm sure, later on tonight. So it's official. They are named the Heart Foundation, all five of them. So then we have a match with Rockabilly taking on Ahmed Johnson. And Ahmed loses by DQ because he decides to use the guitar on Rockabilly. Didn't really care. And he is going to be facing the entire nation in that gauntlet this coming Sunday in Richmond, which they keep talking about. Backstage, we have the Heart Foundation. They are just looking for the Heartbreak Kid left and right. They're going to every room because it's been told that ever since last week, that spill that Austin took off the stage, he's not here tonight. He's not going to be here. So we haven't seen him. But they keep looking around for Shawn Michaels and they bust into one room only to find... Bob Sparkplug Holly and two jobbers. I didn't even know Holly was even around still at this point. I mean, I know he started all the way in 93, 94, 95, but I didn't know he even needed to show up to Raw. And then, of course, they go over to a Ken Shamrock video package. I kind of like this one. It was pretty good how it was well, uh, how it was done all together, showing his family life, how he's a baseball coach to his kids, but also how he channels his anger and his action and... You know, he said failure. It just doesn't exist. He just channels everything into a winning attitude. It, it It's funny. Failure doesn't exist. Then why do you know about it? <clears throat> anyway, next we have Vader versus Goldust. Vince is emphasizing that Vader has embarrassed 
the WWF and the USA for everything that happened over in Kuwait. It's, I'm not sure if, you know, when they came back, they were like, look at, you're going to, we're going to give you all this and we're going to shit on you on TV. What you did was wrong and you're going to have to take it. Vader's playing it off. Keeping that bully thing alive though. No problem. Ken Shamrock is on commentary. Gotta be honest. It actually was not bad this time. It was actually the first time that he sounded pretty fluent on there and, Good job for once. And so after the match, Vader calls. Oh, I'm sorry. Vader wins by a, a Vader bomb. Calls out Shamrock. Shamrock comes in the ring, spears him down. They start fighting. Mankind comes to the ring because he's friends in a partner of Vader. And he gets Shamrock in a headlock, but like a gator roll. Much like we used to see Luke Harper do all the time. And gator rolls him off of Vader. I hadn't really seen many people do a gator roll like that. And then Goldust gets in, throws Mankind out of the way, and then gives uh, the curtain call to Vader. Not curtain call, whatever his bulldog, running bulldog move is. So they keep pushing Goldust more and more as a face. And before we even have a minute to digest that, they say we have a very telling interview right now coming up with... Not Goldust and Marlena, but Dustin and Terry Runnels. This was, and when I say a very telling interview, this was, wow. They went into the, the Rose history. You know, the fact that Dustin, you know, was living in his, his father's shadows. And he said that that's how he always felt. And people would always come up and go, oh, hey, man, how's your father doing? Well, how about you ask about me? And Terry was like, it was rough. It was it was rough being in his shadow. And it was a real moving interview. I actually don't fully remember this one. I Maybe 50% in my mind, I was like, kind of seems familiar because I remember them using this kind of stuff to help him be a part of Team USA or Team Austin with the Canadian Stampede down the road. But didn't know that they went this in depth. And very unlike WWE, they even showed footage from the 1991 Royal Rumble where he tags with his father against DiBiase and Virgil, saying he came up short as being a natural, but then when he became the golden one. And this is, I was like, okay, it's just him doing his thing. But he went a little further with this. Uh, you know, he said that, you know, it was hard being in this position because he thought he would just be a new character and it would just work out great. But all of a sudden you hear the guy who's overdubbing, I, I, I want to say it was Todd Pettengill, but a certain superstar who used to ooze machismo, or I take it back, it may have been JR, a certain superstar who used to ooze machismo here in the WWF didn't want to wrestle him. And they back over to Dustin, he goes, oh, that hurt, that one got me. He goes, you know, there's no reason that you can't wrestle me. I'm a man. You know, I'm here doing the same thing as you. And that one really got him. And he said that, and he said, he goes, when Scott Hall did that to me, he actually calls him Scott Hall. So they don't say Razor. They say the machismo. And then he says Scott Hall. Found it very interesting. But he said that it gave him a newfound respect for all gays and minorities all across because he now sympathized with them. He said he was going into arenas and people were throwing things at him, drinks, food, batteries, 
um, at live events be in calling him of all the worst names that you could think, you know, with homophobic slurs. And I did not think WWF actually went this road with this interview. And it was really, really good. And he said it had been two years since he had actually talked with his father, but he hopes that he's proud of him. And then they cut over back to Jim Ross, Vince McMahon, and Jerry Lawler at commentary, and they said, part two next week. Jesus, I didn't, okay, there's two parts of this. Even to the point where Lawler goes, nah, this, this stuff was really, really good. All kayfabe out the window. He was just, like, just regular Jerry Lawler. I thought that was real interesting as well. It wasn't uh, him being his normal heel self. Now we go back to some real shit. Literally. The Hart Foundation is standing outside of a bathroom. You hear a toilet flush, and a guy walks out with long hair. Looks like it could be HBK. They beat the piss out of him. They look at him, and they go, oh, it's not him. Ah, fuck it. Continue. They beat the living shit out of him anyway, which I thought was great. I actually popped for that moment. Now, we have Crush in the ring, and he's doing his own gauntlet. Farouk is telling Ahmed, hey, Next week, or this coming Sunday, this is what's going to happen to you, Crush. Uh, he's going to show you the kind of pain the nation can bring on you. Well, Crush beats the first two guys, and then this guy comes out in a green track suit with a mask, quickly hits him with a Pearl River plunge. One, two, three. Runs back up the ramp, takes off the hat, and it's Ahmed Johnson, which was pretty cool. In the, in the commentary was selling it. He must have jumped the third guy or got to the third guy before he had the opportunity. Awesome pop. As soon as the crowd saw the Pearl River plunge, they went nuts for it. Ahmed's still pretty decently over at this time. I I, I don't think I ever really gave him as much credit as, as I should have in the past. But he is going to be facing the entire nation this Sunday in Richmond. Now, backstage... Again, we have the Hart Foundation looking around for Shawn Michaels. Just doesn't stop. They're lurking all over the parking lot. They're running around like kids, and it's raining. It was a real funny thing to watch. And right before Hour 2 begins, we get Doc Hendricks hawking the Austin 316 shirt with Sable. Her big double Ds are showing it off, and it's a big 316. <clears throat> all right, Hour 2 begins. We get the, the beginning of the song again. They don't... You know, just throw fireworks in the middle of a match like Nitro does. Vince calls HBK to the ring. And he comes out. Like, were they searching for him? Like, how is he just here all of a sudden? Not an issue? Okay. Just made the whole first hour seem silly, I guess. And this is to Austin. Shawn Michaels is saying, you got to understand, Austin, to help you is to hurt them. You don't want my help. But I'm helping because I want to get a piece of the Hart Foundation. And he said that in this in this business, there is no more powerful group than the click. Oh, Jesus. And it's funny because even Jerry goes, oh, geez, with the click. Uh, Sean announces as Vince asks him, you know, when are we going to see you back in the ring? We hear your knees feeling pretty good and you seem like you found your smile. Huh. Sean announces that he will be returning to the King of the Ring. And that will be his first official match back. He's making his way around the crowd, high-fiving everybody. People will not let him go. And I mean, like, he is having to really pull hard. 
I forgot how much people used to just grab onto this guy. He had to come to a stop, take his watch off, and put it in his pocket because you could tell someone was going to take that gold watch right off of his wrist. Then all of a sudden, Brett pops up on the the Titantron as he's circling it around. Um, oh, wait, I do have a line that Michael said right before it. He goes, you know, Brett, you may not like how our society works, you know, a society that makes Homer Simpson an icon status, but that's what makes American awesome, uh, being American awesome. Brett gets on and goes, I don't know why you had to mock the, the Simpsons. What do they have to do with this? Which was great. But Brett take, or I'm sorry, Sean takes his shirt off, throws it out to the crowd. You hear girls start to scream. Brett goes, "Is that for the boys or the girls?" <laughs> oh God, I just love that you knew Brett did not like him at all. Uh, and it was just a quick underrated line. I love that one. I don't think I ever remember that. You know, we hear all about the sunny days, things like that. But him just going, "Is that for the the boys or the girls?" And he says he's sending Anvil to the ring. I think your knee is ready. You've been pretty much faking it. I'm sending Anvil to the ring right now. Sean does Scott Hull's spooky fingers. Ooh. Anvil comes out, but it was all a setup because the entire Heart Foundation comes from the other side. Then all of a sudden, Legion Legion of Doom come in for the save, and they are in singlets. Don't know why. So now it's backstage with Michaels and LOD looking for the Heart Foundation. And not to make it any more confusing, here comes Furnace and LaFon for a match, and their opponents? LOD. Not many people must have been on hand that night. It seems kind of odd. But Bulldog distracts Animal so Owen can help the tag team of Furnace and LaFon get the win by pinning Hawk. So their first major win, especially in the heel form. Backstage, Shawn Michaels is now fighting with Jim the Anvil Nyhart and Brian Pillman as Bret Hart just sits on in a wheelchair. But boom! All of a sudden, from an outdoor, or from outside, the door opens, and it's Stone Cold Steve Austin comes in, starts throwing punches, and for no reason at all, just boom! Back to the arena. Taker's music hits. Haven't we just been waiting on this awesome thing all night and now we're just hitting to this now? Taker's music hits. He comes out and he says he is the WWF champion, the champion of the Grim Reapers and all souls, but he doesn't have his title and he wants to know who took it. He's pissed off. I and I didn't even know who took it at this point. So then we have the match of Austin versus the Bulldog. It's going to happen now because Austin is here. Austin wins, but in the post-match, Heart Foundation, of course, attack, obviously, while Pillman is sitting next to Bret Hart watching on TV. Owen is hitting Austin with the WWF Championship. So it was Owen that takes the title, but drops it next to Austin. LOD comes out, and then Furnace and LaFon, but for some reason... Owen and LaFon start tussling. And in even commentary, like, they don't even know who they're fighting. They're fighting each other. I don't think they should have been. It was weird. But then out comes Shawn Michaels. Then out comes Undertaker. And when the lights go out for him, you hear the gong. But then lights come back on. He's just in the ring. Starts clearing house. Austin stands up and the title's right there near him. And he picks it up. So in Taker's eyes this entire time, Austin was the one who took it from him. 
they end up going down to the floor and brawling, and that is the end of Monday Night Raw. Good show. Got us excited and ready for what is going to be a cold day in hell. We'll talk about that one next week. But now we have Nitro with their one-hour show. We open up with, again, really big banners of NWO Tradition Bites. And you got Flair, uh, Flair, Flair, Piper, and Kevin Green. They are all in the ring and talking about the purse for the fight, how NWO won 75%. Piper said he doesn't wear a purse, doesn't need a purse, doesn't like purses. God, good shit. I'm telling you, this is a real... I, they threw a lot of no care into this entire episode. Each match was less than five minutes at best. Conan in the humorous one defeated, this one's for you, my man, Pubic Enemy, in just a garbage match. In in the next match, we had Rey Mysterio taking on six for the Cruiserweight Championship. Mysterio, for some odd reason, starts crawling out to the ring like Spider-Man does to do a weird shooting web thing. Nothing happens. They didn't even make mention on the commentary. It was kind of odd. Hall comes in and gives the razor's edge to Mysterio. And Six lays on his buzzkill, which is also the uh, what we, the cross-faced chicken wing. Refuses to let go of the hold, even though he's got the win. J.J. Dillon and now face referee Nick Patrick comes in, who's wearing like an airbrush WCW shirt. Like, well, I don't work for either company, so I made this one to show that I, I, I'm still on their side. He gets thrown from the ring by the entire NWO. Bischoff comes out and says, J.J. Dillon, you don't have any stroke. You may have had it in New York back in the day, but here, you don't have any. We run the things. He was gonna. He was trying to tell Six if he didn't release the hold, he was going to reverse the decision and put the title on Ray. But Eric said, you got no stroke, pal. Nothing's going to work. And on to another excellent NWO moment. This may have been longer than any other match on the card. Hulk Hogan comes out just to gloat that he's a big movie star, buying some land. Don't worry, I'm still here. Does some air guitar, calls out Sting. No show. For the next match. A good match that you would say, ah, here we go. I'm going to finally get to see something good tonight. Ming versus William Regal. They fought for like two minutes, and then all of a sudden, Kevin Sullivan, Jacqueline, and Jimmy Hart all come down to the ring, and it becomes a no contest. Dynamite stuff for another one-hour show, guys. It's like because they didn't have two hours, they're like, well, we can't do much, so why don't we just, we'll just phone it in. DDP and Kimberly are talking with Mean Gene, and, you know, just continuing the Savage storyline. Savage comes out, brother, 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 and says, Kimberly, you gotta stop calling me. <laughs> DDP says, I have two words for you, diamond cutter. Not so much in that sense. Uh, after this match, we had, or after that whole moment, we had Jeff Jarrett defeating Alex Wright. Glacier in a 10-second match, defeating Lizmark with another Mortis and Wrath jumping afterwards because this is just going to keep it's wash, rinse, repeat same thing, over, 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 or, you know, whatever uh, and then in the main event match give or take, whatever you want to call it you had Harlem Heat taking on the Giant and DDP, but just never happened because 
Macho and DDP start brawling before he even gets a chance to get to the ring. And for some reason, Piper Flair and Kevin Green say, yeah, we'll join in and get our asses kicked too. Not a problem. Piper is put in a sleeper hole by Kevin Nash. May have been one of the longest sleepers I've ever seen. It was funny that he just did it for an annoying long amount of time. I think it was obviously purposeful, but it was great. But just as DDP almost has an upper hand on Savage, Hogan helps him out. And Savage and Liz give the beat down to DDP and Kimberly. And of course, that is how we go off the air. Another NWO beatdown. Repeat every week. I'm telling you, it's you can't keep up with the WWF right now, at least in terms of their storyline. It's like they got as far with... The NWO, I'm like, shit, now we don't know what to do. <laughs> but we'll see what happens because next week we have the Cold Day in Hell pay-per-view. And then the following week we'll be talking Slamboree where we will have the NWO taking on Flair Piper and Lean Mean Kevin Green likes to eat some Slim Jims. Didn't work, I know. Boo, boo. Good for you, ODM. You could boo me from afar. And it's time for Movie of the Week. <laughs> Statistically, I am known for having fun on this show. You know, it's nine times out of ten, I'm going to cut you off just to say my own point. Right, ODM? Or, you know, or I'm going to say that dad joke just to piss you off. So, you probably thought I was going to go the funny route when it came to movies this week. Damn, I was close. I'm not going to lie, ODM. I almost decided to do Police Academy. (laughs) But you did some serious movies as of late, and I wanted to make sure I brought a really good one to the table that is, it's a thinker about a sport that you never thought you would put that much extra thought into when it comes to what I already opened with, statistically, with your stats, baseball stats. We've seen so many great baseball movies. We've talked about Major League. I think we even talked Rookie of the Year. You know, we... we There's good movies that are out there. Feel the dreams. But one that really broke down the importance of stats was the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and a younger Chris Pratt. It is, if you have not watched this movie, Jonah Hill is an analysis that works for... I can't remember which team it was, uh, another major league team, but he ends up working with Brad Pitt. And this is an all true story about the Oakland A's and how they went on their big 20 win streak. And, uh, and we all remember this. I believe it was 2004 or three, something like that. Jonah Hill as an analysis likes to look at runs how do you, how, like it wins? How do you get a win? Well, to get a win, you have to have runs. To have runs, you have to get on base. So, in terms of getting those runs, you need to make sure you have people who are more likely to get on base, not just getting guys who can always hit a home run. And what they were faced with is they were losing Jason Giambi and Johnny Damon, big name players. 
What are they going to do? Well, all they want to do is, I guess, kind of, you know, rebrand everything to a numbers game. And Jonah Hill shows him that you don't need to have two to three guys that can hit home runs. You need two to three guys that are higher averages that'll get you on base. And not only that, again, it's going to play into your wins. And they end up turning a guy who used to be a catcher into a first baseman. We also have Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie who is playing the coach who is combating Brad Pitt at every angle he can. He's saying, you've got to let me coach this team. Brad Pitt, the GM of, of the team, is you know pushing for this new route, you know, the, the, the new numbers game. And Philip Seymour Hoffman says, I know this game. I live this game. I breathe this game. And Brad Pitt is playing the, the character of a guy named Billy Bean who was drafted and just really couldn't cut the mustard, but, you know, was good business-wise and knew the game. And he's been running the athletics for quite some time. And now they have gone from zeros to heroes. And it's there, there's a great line where he's in there arguing with all the guys and they're like well we, we could get this guy or we could get this guy and he goes you guys are just talking bullshit he goes well this one guy here you know he, good looking guy but he lacks confidence he's got an ugly girlfriend you know that means he doesn't have confidence no confidence on the outside he ain't got confidence on the field he goes you guys are just talking bullshit now <laughs> it's 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 funny how you know the things that some people may have been looking at instead of not really looking at the numbers, the stats, what gets you the wins. And he says, you know, you guys are trying to play like the Yankees in here, but you're going to lose to the Yankees out there because we don't have the money of Steinbrenner. <laughs> because there's there's great teams, there's good teams, there's 50 feet of shit, and then there's us. And that's what they're battling in this movie. And them trying to turn around the Oakland Athletics from a complete losing team to a winning team with Jonah Hill kind of being the main hero of this movie when you look at it. Uh, and I didn't even give any spoilers away, any twists and turns. There's a lot of great moments in this movie. If you have not watched it but you are a fan of baseball, Brad Pitt or Jonah Hill or even Philip Seymour Hoffman. He has he has a, a good part in that as well. Great movie. Highly recommend you check it out. Moneyball. Hope I did you well on that one, ODM. I know that I I, I really I fought hard to not do Police Academy. You have no idea how bad I wanted to do a Zed impression today. But I'll be back next week. And next week, when I am here, I'm bringing along a top topic. Oh, yeah. This top topic next week probably one that ODM's happy he's not going to be in on because it's going to be not lengthy, but it's it's a list. It's a, a professor list, as always. And I'm going to be ranking and figuring out what is WWF's or WWE's greatest year ever. We talked a little about this. I kind of hinted at it before, but you know, you, you got to look at things like your merch sales, your ticket sales, your ratings, your storylines, who was there at the time. You know, I mean, you have to have the right stars in place as well. So all that and much more next week. We'll be talking 
what happens on tonight's AEW Dynamite plus Rampage because one week from tonight we'll be kicking off the official Owen Hart Foundation Tournament matches. All we've seen so far are people who are trying to qualify will actually have tournament matches beginning next Wednesday. So next Wednesday we'll be breaking down what we know of the brackets at that point. Hopefully we'll have an idea of maybe some other matches that are going to be heading into Double or Nothing. Probably seeing a Santana, Ortiz, and Kingston, maybe with LAX, taking on your Jericho Appreciation Society. Who knows? But I am the Professor. I appreciate you guys being here as always and listening in. Next week I'll be back with four, well, episode 19. And ODM, he's going to leave us with just four words. Shit, he's not here. The Top of Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by The Top of Wrestling Podcast. Your hosts are The Professor, Mark Fantasia, and ODM, Joe Rizzo, with special weekly segments by Nightwing the Analyst, Rashawn Hilton. Without your continued support, it would just be some guys talking wrestling. Feel free to interact with the show on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and by email at thetopofwrestling at gmail.com. Fuck it, I'm clapping. Three, two, one. If you're listening, help! Doc's Log. Podcast episode 18. Started work about 7.30 Friday morning. Plan was initially to stay up all night and sleep all day. Like the famous song. But with all that was needed to be done, I needed to check in early. That resulted in me working from 7.30 a.m. Friday morning to 6.30 Saturday morning. I don't even know what day it is anymore. Got to bed about 7. Woke up at about 2 p.m. Saturday. Missed calls, text messages. My staff member, who I had placed on uh, the day shift for Go Live, was drowning, which is what I expected. I set him up that way. Trial by fire, it's the only way you learn. But it put me in a position that I couldn't wait until my 6 p.m. scheduled shift. I had to get online right away and and help bail some water out. So, after about eight hours of sleep, got online about 3.30 and worked... That would be 3.30 p.m. Saturday and worked until 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m., Sunday morning. Got to bed about 7 o'clock a.m. again and, uh, yeah, was awoken by phone calls, text messages again. And after about the fifth or sixth one, I said, fuck it, and just got up. Figured, fuck it. I'm not doing until 6 a.m. Monday, so 
whatever. Figured some chicken nuggets. I'll have a beer. Hadn't had one in a few days. Go play some video games. Relax. Yeah, got through about 15 minutes of that and was like, nah, you know what? I'll just go play my game. After about five minutes of playing my game, I realized I was doing it in the room that I've been in for the last 36 of 48 hours. So I decided, you know what? I'll go lay down in bed and watch some TV. Maybe take a quick nap. Neglecting to think that since I was actually available, wife and kids wanted to go get some ice cream, go take a walk near the pier. And when I woke up, they were gone. They didn't leave me. They just went ahead to the pier. So I said, you know what? I got to make this right. Had a smoke, got in a car, drove down. Right as I was about to get to the pier, I see them driving past me. So I called them, let them know, and I headed home and cracked a beer and had some more chicken nuggets. And now I'm in the office that I've been in for 36 of the last 50 hours, whatever the fuck it is. In other words, boo!